Good morning, everyone. My name is Jaden Carrasco. Today's scripture comes from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings us. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Jade. And yeah, it's great to applause, right? Scripture, you know how terrifying it is up here, okay? <laughs> hey, it's great to see you guys. Hey, I love you guys. Um, I have the opportunity every year to talk a little bit about, like, how do, how, how do we going to focus our attention as a church next year? Sort of how to think about that. And so in the summer, I start praying and thinking a lot about what do I see coming on the horizon? Um, what do I think will be helpful to us as a community? I don't have the answer, so like you, sort of groaning your way forward to figure that out. And so I want to share that with you today. Tatiana shared wonderfully this morning a little bit about our, you know, about who we are as a church. And I want to talk about that from Scripture because I think it helps us individually to know who we are, and it also helps us to share what God has for us. I guess the first question to begin is, what are those times in your life in which you recognize for yourself that I need support. I can't walk through this by myself. I really need to be surrounded by people who I know, no matter what, they're going to be in my corner. I was reading, uh, like you, if you've probably been slammed to with press after October the 7th and the, the attack on Israel by Hamas, and you've been drawn into all of that. There's one of the stories that came out of that that was really sort of overwhelming to me. It was a story about a young Brazilian girl. She had immigrated with just a couple other family members. You'll see a picture of her. Her name is Bruna Valenu. She had immigrated from Brazil to Israel, so there's just a few people in her family. Age 24, studying at Tel Aviv University Communications. She was down at that concert where so many people were either kidnapped or killed. She was, she was killed uh, on that, in that October 7th raid. And her family right away had a problem. They needed to plan a service for her, and they wanted her to be buried in Israel. But the problem was in Israel, it's not really religiously recognized to be an official service unless there are 10 or more people that are there. And so her brother was looking, and there's like four, five people who may come to this service. So imagine at one of the most horrible times in your life, you, you feel like you're going to end up standing alone. So he posted out on social media, my family is having this gathering. We need to have at least 10 people. Would you be willing to come? And that night, when the time for the service arrived, the roadways were filled, and there was this huge mass of people that showed up at the place where his sister we were going to be celebrated. When it was all said and done, over 10,000 people showed up. 
And you begin to think, what is the power of community? And what do we need from each other? What are those ways that we walk through life that we're able to enjoy the lives that we have? Do we think that this is all, that we're doing this ourselves, that it's just all on us? And it showed me there's something so much power than, powerful than the horrors of war or revenge or terrorism, all of that. And it gives us a window on hope. And I think a picture with which to think about what does God want to do and want to do with a group of people. Now, Sandy and I have been in that place many times. I remember when our third child was born, we didn't know. At his birth, he was going to be really sick. We ended up crossing from New Jersey into the city of New York with a super sick baby. Actually, he went ahead of us in a mobile neonatal intensive care unit. We got a phone call that he actually had expired. I mean, his heart stopped beating on the way in, and they had to revive him. We arrived at the hospital. I mean, in a place we'd never been we never visited this hospital, been to that part of, this, of New York City. We go in and we're checking in and we identify ourselves and we tell them who our son is and they say, well, we have rooms in the hospital. You can spend the night here for the parents of our sickest patients. It's like, I don't want to be a parent of one of your sickest patients. But you know what happened? Right after that, a group of people from our church showed up. I don't even know how they found us. They had a cooler with drinks and it was filled with sandwiches and they were just there. I mean, they were, they were going to throw their arms around us. Just, just say, you know, you're not alone. You don't have to go through this alone. They, they prayed with us. They cried with us. They grieved with us over the difficult moment we were in. And it makes you think, and by the way, I'm forever grateful to you guys and the body of Christ that has been our family, right? But the reminder that this is what we're called to be in this life. And I know we often talk about spiritual community. Tatiana said um, gospel community. Well, what is that? And that's what I want to look at with you today. Um, would you pray together with me? Father, all of us have had those moments where so much we just needed that person not to try and explain things or to give answers to questions there really aren't answers for, but just to put their arm on our shoulder or to look in our eyes, or to sit quietly with us. And Lord, you have brought us to a beautiful community through Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn how to be that community, how we can be a community, and how that community lives together, walks together. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes calls himself just the preacher, said this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, no uh, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, let me tell you, in this book, by the way, it is one of the most challenging books, but also beautiful books in Scripture, because the writer, this preacher, Solomon, says, I look all around, everything looks empty to me. It looks vanity, like chasing after the wind. But then in this letter, there are these bright spots, and here's one of them. He says, look, I don't know what you're going through, but... When somebody is there with you, it changes everything. 
right? How you live, how, how you go through your life is changed by this. Now, as I think about this, he's talking about sp- friendship, spiritual friendship is what we're looking at today. Sharing life does this, not being alone or facing life alone. And by the way, as Americans, we talked about last week, we are increasingly are alone. There's a loneliness epidemic. This week in the Wall Street Journal headline was every cause of death they've looked at, it increases by being alone, right? Whatever that is, you're going to die more often, whether it's heart disease or cancer or whatever it is, if you're alone, you're going to die more quickly. This is not good for us as human beings. People disconnected. And by the way, I find people hungering to be, to actually be seen by somebody, somebody who really sees them and and somebody who will, who will know them, commit to knowing them. And by the way, in our culture, the pull to me sort of like feels like an undertow at the beach. You know, first you don't even recognize it's happening, but you're getting pulled away further from shore and you're swimming hard. But you know what? It's, it's more powerful than you are. And so this pull to isolation sort of feels like that. And by the way, I believe next year it's going to get worse. Next year's a year, right, when, when everybody sort of throws everything on the wall and all of these challenges happening. Have you ever heard of the study called the Robber's Cave Experiment? It was conducted in 1954 and by a social scientist who grabbed 22 fifth grade boys and he took them to camp. And by the way, it was really cool. He separated them into two groups of 11. Those groups didn't see each other or know each other in the beginning. They had separate place. And the reason is called Robber's Cave. It was in a state park in the Midwest called Rob, Robber's Cave Park, as you can see. Now, for that first week, it was amazing. They went hiking in the woods. They went swimming. They built stuff. They did all kinds of cool things. I mean, this huge bonding thing happened. And each pack of those 11 boys, they just got close. They started to play plan their own activities. They developed a little bit of their own group culture. They bonded that much to each other. And then things got real on the seventh day. They didn't bring those groups together, but they allowed them just to even hear that there was another group that was nearby. And they began to notice the change in those boys' attitudes, how they were talking about, they knew there were other people, and they're superior to them, right? And as time went on, they brought these groups together to compete and things like that. And can you imagine what happened, how they responded? Can you guess? Yeah, their group was superior. Boys, these boys even used racial epithets to describe each other. And as the researchers increased contact, there were fist fights, there was rock throwing and flag burning. I mean, I wish I was making this stuff up. The experiment is scary. And maybe you're thinking, oh, I know, these kids came from different backgrounds. But the sociologists, they specifically picked kids who are all from the same background, that didn't have those differences coming in. You say, well, how did this happen? Welcome to human nature. This is our human experience, right? Now, prayerfully, as I'm thinking about this year ahead, I want us to grow in spiritual community. I want to understand more of what it means to be in community because I believe this coming year is going to look like a huge replay of the robber's cave experiment. We'll be invited to join a side, bond with our camp, build a culture, defend our turf, and go to war. 
And I don't think I'm being pessimistic here. By the way, if you ask Americans today, recent study, what is the greatest challenge facing our country? It wasn't too much immigration. It wasn't terrorism. It was the people in the other camp. Highest score. So we already are feeling this. This is going on among us, right? And by the way, the media empire loves this because the very things that make them money are the things most harmful oftentimes to the country. Have you noticed that? That's the way it works. So we'll be pulled further apart. Now this is what troubles me. I think we're going to take our eyes off the ball as followers of Jesus. We're going to miss our calling. We're not going to be able to enjoy and celebrate what we've been given. And we could be pulled even further apart. Now maybe you're thinking, oh man, it would be so great. It would be awesome if we had Jesus leading us, right? It would be different. If only Jesus were the head of our community and were with us, he already is. He is. So what kind of community does he leave? What does it mean to follow him into this life and community? And because, by the way, the way of Jesus is very different than this. In Jesus, God has formed this new community based on who he is and what he has done for us. Here, here's where it's explained. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. You're the people. You've received mercy. So what is this community? How does it work? And that's what I want to look at with you today. Our, and also our mission as a gospel community, living in this community. Now this book of Hebrews was written by a Jewish believer in Jesus during a time of huge persecution, right? Mistreatment of Christians. And he shows, this is what he shows in a nutshell, that all the Jewish people had longed for uh, and hoped for as now fulfilled in Jesus. The law was great. Jesus fulfilled the law. God is majestic and glorious, and Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. If you want to know God, you need to get to know Jesus, the imprint, exact imprint of God's nature. And we learn that Jesus is our high priest, right, that he doesn't repeat the same sacrifices over and over again, but he makes a once and for all sacrifice of himself for sin to restore us to God. And by the way, this, ser this book is likely a very extended sermon from the early church. If you read it, by the way, it'll be really long. Do it because it'll make my sermon feel really short, okay? So that's what this is. So how would they be able to stand? How would they survive? How are they supposed to see all of this? Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, so he's, he's drawing things to a close and he does that with the word therefore. He wants to pull everything together and say, look, all that I've been teaching you is all about this. And by the way, the language sounds strange because it talks about a new and living way and a curtain and the most holy place. But what he is doing is he's taking the temple, the sanctuary of God, and he's describing sort of how that worked and what Jesus had done. And the way that it worked was like this. Everything about the temple was like a giant do not enter sign. You cannot get in here. 
And the reason is because since the very beginning in sin, people couldn't come into the presence of God. This was depicted by the fact most clearly that inside the temple at proper, there was one room called the Holy of Holies that nobody could ever enter. Well, except one guy could go on one day a year. That day is called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And even when he went in, he had to have blood on him. He could only go in if there had been a death for him. Right? And so only he can go in. And by the way, he's making sacrifices every year. And outside they're making sacrifices every day. And what we're told is that that's like a giant keep out sign. You cannot come into the presence of God. Right? But what the Gospels tell us is that when Jesus died, that curtain, which by the way was as thick as the width of my hand, it was torn from top to bottom, from heaven to earth, from God to us. And now the big do not enter sign has been taken away. Imagine this. Now I remember first reading this and understanding it. I wanted to clap. I wanted to cheer because forever we could not come freely to God. And we've all felt the estrangement of that, right? That we don't have access to the very God who made us. It's like that longing in your heart that always is seeking for home, a place of connection, a place where you belong. All of us know this. And so this new living way in Jesus, this new community, it doesn't happen because a bunch of people get together and they figure it out. It happens because this new and living way has first been made to the Father. That's the only way it can have new outcomes than all the communities before. Only Jesus can form us into this kind of family, and he has. I don't know if we get how powerful this is, to rest in the fact that God, because of Jesus, loves you. And he welcomes you to come to him. Uh, right before COVID, Demi Moore, you'll probably know her, she, the famous actress. And right, she's been on all kinds of magazine covers, super attractive and amazing person. She published her own memoir, the story of her life. It's got the title, you can see the book, Inside Out. I had no idea until reading what her story was. And what other people's stories, a lot of times we don't know. Her parents were unstable, self-sabotaging melodramatic. Her family moved around so much that she was an average of two schools every year. Imagine what that's going to do to a child, right? And not only that, it, her father was age 36. He committed suicide. And not long after that, she found her mother passed out and scooped the pills out of her mom's mouth. That's the only reason she thinks her mom lived. Imagine that. Here's what she says about how, where she grew up, her parents. They loved me the only way they knew how, inconsistently and conditionally. From them, I learned that love was something you had to scramble to keep. It could be revoked at any minute for reasons you couldn't understand, that you couldn't control. The kind of love I grew up with was scary to need and painful to feel. And reading her story, I could only step away and say, wow, this is our human story. All of us live in this world of, of contingent love, right? 
I mean, we lose it, and, and we're not even sure why or how to keep it. And, and she grew up in the middle of this. And I also thought, thankfully, my parents were not like hers. But we all know the feeling of estrangement. Ever since we lost Eden and fellowship with God, we know this. And I think, like I said, we, we've got this homing beacon, right? We're trying to find our way home. And here's Jesus. He opens the way through his death, through his body. He's like, come on in. You get to be in relationship with the Father. You can actually know the love of the Father. And so we don't make this new community happen. It's not in us. It's in Jesus. We can only live based on what he has done. And you begin to realize what would happen if a group of people become reconciled to God. What would happen among them? You see, that's the basis of our community. And then we read this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. By the way, after this, there are three let us statements. Let us. Not you go do this. But this is the life of the community this is what we do together. This we're, we're called together for. And the first one of those things is, by the way, if the way has been open, let's go in and enjoy this way to God. Let's draw near to God. Right? It's beautiful. Let's draw near. As we come together, we continually rest in the grace of Jesus. Every now and then somebody will tell me, well, they'll be, after a service, they'll be like, wow, you seem to always be talking about Jesus. Like, well, Yeah. And, and, and you always mention that God loves us. Oh, well, yeah, that too. It's like, what do you think this is about? How do you think we got here? That you are loved by God. Let me tell you, you're going to get tired of me explaining this. You are forgiven and free because of something God did for you in Jesus. That you can't blot out, you can't remove, you can't dim but we find ourselves entrapped in cycles of sin and addiction. And by the way, the very things we promised God we're not going to do, we end up doing those things, right? And, and we feel the shame of all of this. And so we wonder, wow, this just can't be true. So every week it's like, you're loved by God. God has loved you. And by the way, whatever it is that's happened, his love is big enough for that. And guess what he does? He honors us. He restores our dignity. But we forget the gospel. And by the way, that's why we share it every week. When you come here, you're going to hear this over and over again. I remember years ago, Sandy and I, uh, my family is an inherited a generational cabin in the mountains of North Carolina. That's the picture from the top of that mountain that's there. And so we invited friends from our old church in New Jersey, where I was a pastor in the 80s and 90s, to meet us there. And we had a great time with them. I mean, we stayed up at night and we played board games around a table and we, we went hiking and swimming and, and mountain climbing. It was awesome. It was great. And at the end of this time, when these families were getting ready to leave, they went out on the front lawn. They'd actually already packed their car. And one of the men sort of came over to me and he said, um, would you mind doing something before we leave? And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, when you were our pastor at the end of the service, you would stand and you would raise your hand and you would bless us. Would you do that? So here on this lawn on a mountain hill, sort of a lawn, it's pretty rough. These families stood and I had the privilege. Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be 
gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Don't forget this. You have access to the Father. And so what we're going to do here is, Tatiana said every, just all the time, you're loved by God. I know this is a struggle. I know there's stuff you're fighting in your life. You're, you're loved by God. And by the way, you, let me tell you about his love. It's unconditional. It's consistent. You don't have to scramble for this. You don't have to hustle for this. It's, it's not out of reach. It's not going to be taken away for whatever reason. It's just not going to happen because of Jesus, because of what he has done. And so here the writer's like, wow, we have this. Let's, let's keep drawing near. Let's rest in his grace. And by the way, let me tell you the truth. I need that blessing too. You know, I need people to stand over my life at times and just say, God bless you. God loves you. I need this blessing. And listen to what he says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he promised is faithful. That's the second let us. It's brief. But wow, when I, when I got my mind around this, I was so convicted. I think you will be too. And this comes like this. It challenges what are you hoping in? Right, Because this way has been open, and we have fellowship with the Father, and we know what it means to be loved by him. We're brought into a new community. What is it you're hoping in? You see, we do not live in the hope of who's going to be elected in the next election cycle, or how the stock market will do this coming season, or that the war in Ukraine or Israel will end. Now, I want you to hear me really clearly here. These things are not unimportant. They're just not our hope. They're not our hope. It's not coming in that way. You see, we need God to change our story. We have shown that we cannot. You know, in that same year, 1954, of the Robbers Cave Experiment, a Nobel Prize winner, his name is William Golding, wrote a book that I was forced to read as a kid. Maybe you did too. It's called The Lord of the Flies. You remember this story? Maybe you've heard about it. It seems like the robber cave experience. It's the story of a group of young boys who survive a British airplane crash, and they find themselves on a deserted island. And by the way, they get together and they make a goal. They make a pact. They're going to get along. They're going to be civilized, right? They're not savages. But guess what happens? It unravels. Tribes are established. The boys end up fighting, and actually they are chasing to kill one another when thankfully an officer from a British war cruiser shows up to interrupt that. And all seems well and good. You're like, whoo, ah, they're saved from killing each other. But the author has a more honest view. This is what he says. The officer, having interrupted a manhunt prepares to take the children off the island in a cruiser that will presently be hunting its enemy in the same implacable way. And who will rescue the adult in his cruiser? Who's going to come and help him? Who will help us? We're doing the same thing those boys were doing. Who is going to rescue us? And you see, as long as we hope in men and markets and parties and people, we're going to be disillusioned. And we, and we give our hearts to those things. We, we live for those things. By the way, I'm not telling you those are inconsequential. They're not the source of our hope. They cannot be our hope. So let us live with our hope in Jesus. 
and what he alone can do, right? Well, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, first it means not to live for those other things, but to live for Christ, not to expect those to be better than our human condition, right? And even science, by the way, you know science can only tell you the way things are. It can't tell you the way things should be. And that's part of the problem, isn't it? One must have hope in nothing less than God himself and his plan to redeem, to make all things new as he promised. One of the books I enjoyed this fall, you'll see a picture of the cover. It's entitled Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. If you like reading apologetics, it's really cool because it tells the story of 12 people who were atheists and they were reading the new atheist stuff like Richard Dawkins and reading that they were like, oh, I don't think that could be true. That just can't be right. That can't be the answer. One of those people, she's here, Sarah Irving Stonebreaker, was a confirmed atheist. She grew up in an atheist home in Australia, went to Cambridge University, got a PhD, and she's out teaching, and she's thinking, and she's hearing about what this is all about. Well, I believe in the dignity of human beings. I believe that there's a hopefulness in our world. But here's what Dawkins said. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we would expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And she said, that's not the world I live in. The world I live in, human dignity does matter. The world I live in, there's, there's a hope that we live with, and we couldn't live without it. You see, if this were true, there would be nobody like Jesus. There would be nobody who gives himself for the sake of the poor when he has absolutely nothing to benefit. There's nobody who would give up his status to wash feet. There is no one who would love his enemies, certainly wouldn't do that. There is nobody who would lay his life down for the likes of me for us, and there would certainly be no one who could rise from the dead. But here is Jesus, and you see why he's the source of our hope? He is the message that says, God has more planned for this world. And that's why in Romans chapter 12, where we were last week, it says, be joyful in hope. We have a living hope. We know things are not always going to be like this. We know God has promised more. And that leads to our joy. And we would say the opposite of Dawkins. I would say something like this. The universe we observe was created by our loving God. It was created by, try to make sense of this stuff without that. It will, it will be redeemed because this is who God is and how God loves. How do we know that? We see this demonstrated in Jesus and proved in his resurrection. And this gives us a hope that affects all that we are and all that we do. That's where we live. I don't know, what are you hoping in? What are you looking at? Oh, we could only get, the, oh, if this, we only get that. He says, no, 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 direct your hope toward Jesus. And then he finally says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, with persecution, that's the thing. I don't want to go hang out with other Christians if that group is going to be broken up and there could be persecution. He says, no, we've got to keep meeting. So this being together is going to foster 
mutual love and service. We keep coming together to spur each other on through our words and our actions. We pray together. We stand together. We worship together. And by the way, that's what we do at a time when people are finding reasons to leave community. We say, no, I'm going I'm to walk with the community. I'm gonna, we're going to serve together. We're going to make a habit of it. Because that keeps us from skipping out just when I just don't feel like it, right? Or days when I'm too tired. <laughs> days when I would just opt to stay at home. By the way, we, we continue to provide an online experience for our people. But we really need, I mean, I need to be with you guys to encourage each other. And it says, toward love and good deeds. By being loved right here, learning from Jesus, we keep loving others. And by the way, inside and outside the church, and I am finding people right now more hungry for relationship than ever. They want to be seen, as I mentioned, and known. And to discover that they're loved by God and serving. This is why almost every week, as Tatiana said, we highlight a ministry or place in Miami where we partner because God has called us to share, share this love in our city, reading to children, fostering, building a house, mentoring a teenager. And by the way, at Thanksgiving, I don't know if you know, there's a way to serve meals to some of the families in our city you could be a part of. It's beautiful. You see, in this way, the hope we have in Jesus is spreading to more and more people. But this is what I think about this. It sounds a lot easier than it is. It is tough not to fall into conflict or hypocrisy and let me be honest, the church often has. There are times when we failed to love, times when we thought it was all about us, about how big our churches are, or how successful we are, and instead of being a community where people love each other and love the people around them, we haven't. We haven't been present. It's a high calling. And we will not always get it right. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Igor Stravinsky, amazing composer and director. He one time wrote a piece of music for the violin, and he gave it to his first violin uh, for an evening they were going to play. And the, violin, the violinist went away and worked on this piece of music, worked on this piece of music, and just could not get it right. And at some point, despite his best effort, he found it too difficult, even unplayable. And he went back to Stravinsky and he said, I, I can't do it. I'm not even sure that it could be played well. And this is what Stravinsky said to him. I understand that. What I am after is the sound of someone trying to play this. And I think this is what Jesus is saying to us. He's like, of course we're not going to do this perfectly, right? That's what God is asking. Ben Patterson, a pastor I know, was defending the church against critics who dismissed it for its hypocrisy and failures and inability to live up to its calling. He explained it in the same way. He said, when Milpitas High School, that's in L.A., right? Troubled school. When their orchestra attempts Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the result is appalling. He said, I wouldn't be surprised if old Ludwig was rolling over in his grave and he was deaf, right? That's what's going to happen. You might ask, well, why bother then? Why inflict on these poor kids the terrible burden of trying to render what the immortal Beethoven had in mind? Not even the great Chicago Symphony Orchestra can attain perfection. And this is what he said. He said, my answer is, the great Milpitas High School, I'm sorry, the Milpitas High School Orchestra will give some people in that audience their only encounter with Beethoven's great Ninth Symphony. You see, you being in their neighborhood, us loving even in weak ways, will give some people the only the opportunity they have to encounter the God who has loved them.
and learn about what Jesus has done for them. In this place where other broken people are sharing the gospel with others, willing to share that love. We're going to struggle with unity and love for each other. But as we do live for Jesus Christ here, that is the way God's message is going to get out. So how do you, how is God calling you to respond? First, man, have you thought about your hope? What are you hoping in? What are you sort of hanging your hook on? Ah, this is going to happen. Or if this could happen, because if it's not in Christ, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be illusioned. And then resting in the gospel every day going back. It's like, I can go into the presence of God. God has loved me with all the stuff in my life. And maybe it's also saying, I need to be here. I need to be in community. Father, thank you for your word in this day. Lord, we see it coming because it started early. In which one faction is pitted against another. And wow, those in the media know how to wind us up. Get us excited or angry. We hear the gentle voice of Jesus who is calling out and just simply saying, come and follow me. And Father, thank you that in this way, this new and living way, we can know that we're your children and that we're loved. Not because we figured everything out. There's a lot we don't understand. Not because we're doing all things well, because only Jesus has done all things well. But because Jesus came for us. Help us to enjoy this together as we worship, as we come together to serve. And Lord, help us to keep our focus on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.